Hello, Charter Folk. Great to be with you today. Very excited about today's Charter Folk chat. I'm going to go ahead and bring on our guest right now as I introduce her. Uh, I'm super excited to be able to introduce you all to Danielle West Augustine, who's the CEO of Queen City Academy uh, in New Jersey. Uh, terrific to have you with us, uh, Danielle. Thank you so much for making time. Thanks for having me, Jed. You know, I've been looking forward to this conversation um, for a little bit of time now since you told me that you wanted to sit down and talk. So I'm really excited to be here and really just share some things about the charter school sector and share about Queen City Academy Charter School. And most importantly, to put scholars at the forefront of everything that we're going to talk about today. Well, great. Well, I'm super excited about the time together and just really pleased about how the whole first year of Charter Folk Extraordinaire played out. Um, I, someone suggested to me, you know, you should really think about uh, celebrating the progress that Danielle's making at Queen City. And of course, you and I had known each other um, through our work at the New Jersey Association. I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Check in with a few other people. People are like, are you crazy? Of course, that's a no brainer, right? Um, to see how people reacted uh, to the piece that we wrote about you um, and to see how readers did. And then to see that, you know, in this in this final round where there were four extraordinary leaders, and frankly, it was extremely close, but uh, that you actually had the most votes of all and were named Charter Folk of the Year. Uh, you know, it was just it was poetry to me. So tell me, what, what are your reactions to all of this? And, you know, I'd uh, love to just hear you talk about it generally. Well, you know, I was really, uh, I was taken back just to be nominated initially with um, not just the four people, but I think it was about 16 or 20 people that were nominated initially, and then it dwindled down to the four. Um, it was really a honor. Um, it took me by surprise a little bit, to be quite honest with you, because when you do this work, uh, you know, Jed, you really do bury yourself into the work that sometimes you forget about the things that have happened um, and the successes that have happened with your team because you're just you keep working for the next opportunity to make the lives of our scholars and our families an impact community. You just want to keep making it better. So you just keep doing the work. But when I finally got the official that I had been selected, I was actually riding my bike one morning uh, and I looked at my phone and I screamed like, oh, my God, like, you know, it was such a great thing. But it wasn't necessarily just a great thing for me professionally. It really was a great thing for, I think, my school community. My school has been here or our school has been here now for 21 years. And it's been one of those small powerhouse schools that does the work but has gone unnoticed for so long. Like the families in our community are knocking down at our door and that's what matters the most. But the greater community and definitely had not had a national presence before. So it really began to give us more of an opportunity to have that kind of presence. And we know that with that kind of presence, it only gives the school another opportunity to move to the next level with development. And so development dollars, it just, it really solidified, I think, our school for the national perspective that it had not gotten in the past. Um, while locally, families know we do great work. They knock at our door. We have a, a huge waiting list um, and they want to make sure that their scholar is here nationally, people didn't know what we were doing. And so now I feel like, you know, it may not be a whole lot. It 
you know, where people everywhere in every corner in every state know about us. But the word is getting out there. And that means a lot. It means a lot for us um, from a development perspective, because now when we approach someone, they may have heard of us or we definitely begin to have a track record of um, more of a presence nationally. Well, Danielle, um, your story is why we made Charter Folk, and we're going to keep doing it. And uh, to um, know that perhaps there was a a little bit of delight given to you personally while you were on a bike ride, uh, but also a moment for your broader school community to recognize the progress um, that has been made um, basically puts it in perfect repose. So thanks for sharing it. And just generally keep going. Um, I think it's important to just turn to that next uh, issue that we have to talk about in, in, in given that it's September of 2021, um, how is, how are things going with the school openings and how are you as the leader and how is your school community dealing with this level of challenge? Uh, Jed, you know, COVID poses one challenge, but there are so many other challenges uh, at this time besides COVID. Um, and we see them somewhat nationally. You, you, you hear about it and you're beginning to see it, whether it's bus shortages, whether it's staffing hire, hirings and because of the teacher shortage. They are really at our front door now. You know, for years we have been hearing about the issues, um, but the can constantly was kicked down a little bit further. I think COVID has really exacerbated the situation and now it is at the door and we're having to deal with it. As an organization, we are continuing to drop, try and be as innovative as possible. And that's one of the beauties of being in the charter sector because it does allow us, we're a little leaner. Um, it doesn't take us as long to do, <clears throat> to do things, to make a difference. So we've been working with um, colleges and universities and really beginning to welcome them into our door so that we can build that pipeline and making sure in terms of a hiring perspective, we have quality teachers in front of our students. And we also are giving back to the profession because we're helping to train uh, new teachers coming along. So we have a couple of opportunities in the work works uh, with some local universities that are coming in to help us start such pipelines. But, you know, besides that, um, this year we opened our high school and we were due to open the high school last year. But with COVID, you know, it, it just timing was was not right. I didn't want us to open our high school and have to build a culture with students in a virtual space. And we mm. knew that last year we definitely, if not, um, we winded up not being virtual the entire year, but we were virtual for a, a pretty good amount of the year. So we didn't want to bring high school students in in that kind of uh, climate where we didn't really get to build um, interactions. You know, Scott, our scholars, the first thing that we know about them is that they come to us with stories. They come to mm-hmm. us with great histories and we honor that. And that is that human piece that is very, you know, while technology is great, it's hard to build the kind of human relationships that we value as a school community uh, with being 100% virtual. So we put it on pause but this year we said, OK, well, we're back and, you know, we're swinging it into motion. Uh, and so the board, our board of trustees and our school community decided, OK, this was definitely the year. So we opened in this August. Um, we welcomed our scholars back in September and it has been a journey. 
uh, it has been a journey that, you know, you have your highs, uh, you have your lows. I would be lying to you if I sat here and said there were not many days that I just didn't bury my head and, you know, shed a good tear and say, roll up our sleeves, let's keep going. Because logistically, you've been de- we've been dealing with furniture that we say, okay, there might be a backlog because of COVID. I'm like, we ordered this months ago. What do you mean it's not there yet? So, you you know, you adapt. You have to be very agile um, and be willing to like really move, um, you know, at the drop of a dime because things change. Um, but, you know, keeping in mind while things are changing, making sure that at the heart of everything we do, that our families and our scholars know and understand why we are doing what we're doing and that we're preparing them for the next step. Um, You know, one of the greatest joys in the opening of our high school has been watching the development of community. You know, Mm -hmm. one of the things we did is we said, when these doors open, it's not, the, the curriculum isn't the first thing that's important to us. That wasn't what was you know, at the top of our list, like, oh, let's make sure that every kid is, you know, they understand the novel. No, 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 no. It was pause. Let's deal with the trauma. Let's deal with the isolation that kids may have felt. Let's deal with acclimating them to high school. Let's build community. And mm-hmm. so that was what we we started on. And then on the flip side of that, you know, that's what's happening with us organizationally. But here on the advocacy front, You know, our school is really uh, intertwined um, with the Charter School Association. And so I think just the sheer nature of my level of involvement that has has been building over the years, um, it hasn't just happened this year. Um, We made a very conscientious effort as an organization and myself professionally to want to be more involved in the advocacy front. Uh, Some years ago, um, maybe about five years or more ago, I was at a Congressional Black Caucus event. um, And I was sitting at a a panel, it was an education panel. And I won't forget, you know, just talking about, you know, we just began to have some kind of round robin. If you've ever been to a CBC event and the Legislative Caucus, you know that sometimes those small rooms and intimate gatherings begin to just have general conversation. And so we were having conversation about education and we were talking about positioning um, our students, not just for the now, um, but for later on. And what impact does that have on our communities and community redevelopment? Um, And so I really now look at and I've always looked at education as um, not just what's happening in the building, but also what's happening outside and around the, the building. And so this whole ecosystem of education is really wrapped into an ecosystem of community and that community hits and targets redevelopment. And so, you know, my charter school particularly sits in a um, urban suburban um, city. It is total is definitely a city. It's Plainfield, New Jersey. And we are some parts of, of, of Plainfield of the city, you have million dollar homes. And then, you know, other parts of the city don't look, they don't look that way. Um, And it is definitely going through a resurgence and a redevelopment. We've seen flight in the city, you know, in the, I would say 70s and 80s, you begin to see, you know, different flight, but now you see a reinvestment in the city again. And so I know that our school, we've been here for a very long time in the city. We are the oldest charter in the city. 
we are positioned um, and we should be part of, of that redevelopment, part of that restructuring. And so much of the work that I'm beginning to venture into now is making sure that as an organization, we have and we take part in that because it only benefits our scholars, right? The dollars sure. that begin to come in and the programming that we could do. Oftentimes, I think people forget that as a charter school, there are some limits that we have when it comes right. to funding, right? I don't, I can't, unfortunately, walk to the mayor and the city council and say, hey, you know, the school budget, we need to increase um, the school budget this year. So I want to appeal to the taxpayers, we don't have that luxury. Right. Um, but what we do have the luxury of is, and the opportunity here as a school community is saying that we produce results and now identifying ways that we can partner and have um, corporations and individuals invest into who we are and figuring out opportunities. Um, because there are many opportunities here that I think we've let pass us by because we haven't been engaged in the advocacy efforts, right? We haven't yeah. let our voice be heard. Um, like this year, uh, CSP, it has been such a, a benefit for our school community, and that's the charter school program dollars. Um, yeah. You know, advocating for that to my legislator, making sure that my local legislator here in Plainfield on the congressional level, making sure that they know, making sure that we're writing letters, making sure that our school community, I can mobilize our parents and take our parents to Trenton when there's something that's threatening us as an organization and our existence. And we did that about two years ago. Um, and we took a busload of parents to Trenton and I had parents come back and they said, you know, how can I be more engaged? Because they hadn't been exposed to that before. So, you know, right now at this time, it is definitely hard in opening um, a charter, um, but it's doable. Um, but you have to have a big picture view. I would say to anyone that is opening a school, what's happening in the school is, is one aspect, but in this day and age, in order to make sure you have support so that you are sustainable for years to come, even once you as an individual may exit, but the organization has that kind of sustainability, you have to have that big picture view and be ready to build relationships for the organization and position the organization for others to know um, the great work that, that has happened and is happening. Well, Danielle, I think that just hearing you um, riff there um, for the last uh, few minutes um, uh, showed you covering the the three bases that I was just always asking charter school leaders in California to try to cover during my time there at CCSA. The key pieces, number one, are you doing extremely well with your existing students? Are you serving your community very well? Are you tone right? Are you helping generate the results that we want? Um, number one, of course. Number two, do you have uh, plans for continuing to serve even more kids in the future? And that growth component, that being able to project that, that it is good for our community, but it's good for the entire community if charter schools continue to grow. And then third, hey, we want our charter school leaders on top of all those other responsibilities to help us with advocacy and, and to also involve our stakeholders in advocacy. And just hearing you talk for the last 10 minutes, it's just like you're knocking it out of the park on all, all three of them. And I guess I would just ask you to think of what advice would you give to those charter school leaders who think that only one of the three 
or only two of the three are within their bandwidth to do. They're just so overwhelmed right now, right? What is it that's giving you that special additional capacity that you can handle these responsibilities so impressively? And what is it that folks like myself and other advocacy organizations or whatever need to do to provide the support to charter school leaders so that they can do the, the amazing things that, that you're doing right now? Um, so they're, they're definitely, um, it's, it's a, that's a multifaceted uh, approach as to what is um, giving me the ability to do all of that. The one thing I want to say is I'm a person of faith. So I, I do, you know, that at the core of who I, who I am as a person, uh, that drives me and it, it keeps me lifted. Um, and in this work, um, you always are going to need to have an inter internal uh, fortitude that keeps you lifted. Um, and that is, I think, so important. And, and people miss that. You know, we talk about self-care, but that's a form of self-care. So that that is one piece of it. And I, we have a great team. Um, I've always had a great team. Our team has changed over the years, but we've always had a really good team. Um, before, I used to try to do everything. Um, and so I, when I was trying to do everything, I was much more laser focused and not able to handle it all. Now I'm learning to delegate a bit more. Um, so that I can engage and think about what are the things that are really important and what are the things that are not the, the micro pieces of what's happening, but what is really macro, what is really big, and how does that then elevate and move the, um, move the organization forward? You know, one of the best pieces of advice that I had gotten um, when beginning to really think strategically about where our organization was going and how to move forward um, was with a career coach that I was working with at the time. Um, because having coaches and mentorship, it, it is really invaluable. And at the time, she talked to me a lot about our board development and how mm. key that was going to be in our success. Um, so I took some time to really focus in on our board development, making sure that our board composition um, was one reflective of the students and the community that we served to um, that they had their own reach as well. And so I reached out and partnered with other organizations to begin board recruitment, whether it was the um, it's a women's organization and it's escaping my mind right now and they're national, but we reached out to them. Um, a lot of women executives are in this organization. We begin to reach out to them. We reached out to other leaders, executive leadership programs here in New Jersey um, to begin to recruit board members because we knew our board members needed to have a big picture view um, to help us move the organization forward. Um, so we really begin to recruit um, high-level or mid-level executives um, that may have their own networks that could begin to assist the school. Um, and, you know, I think the, the next piece of what really drives and how you do it all is when you take a walk around your building every day, or maybe not every day, but, you know, maybe you schedule in those walks um, around your various school campuses and you see those students sitting there mm -hmm. in the classroom and you go in and you talk with with the students or you talk with families 
and you see and you understand that is my why. Yep. That is truly the why of why I do this. And then you th- you don't think small for them. You think big. Mm-hmm. You think yep. bigger than they may even be thinking at that moment, <laughs> but you want to plant right. that seed so that when they leave, they think big. And I'm really, um, I'm, I'm really, I feel really, really strong about investing in our students so that they know to come back and invest in those that invested in them. So every uh, year when we talk about our grad, our, at our graduation uh, ceremonies, our commencement exercises, and I give a charge, my charge to our scholars is always, how do you come back and give back? How do you make sure that the community that invested in you, that you invest in it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because of that, it has definitely given me the fortitude to keep moving forward. And even the days that I'm tired um, or, you know, I'm up and it's um, 11, 12 o'clock at night and I'm still doing something. That is the why. My why is because I know that this is an opportunity and it's part of such a larger movement. Every year when our teach our new teachers start, we show, show a documentary called Waiting for Superman. If mm-hmm. you are familiar with um, education reform and or have ever had any interest in education reform, it is probably one of the best documentaries I think that I have seen, um, which really highlights the impact and the desire of families um, mm-hmm. to engage in the movement. And it also highlights the struggles uh, that sc- individual schools are facing. Um, but the the highlight of how much this means for families and what's at stake, I don't think can be any clearer than it is in that documentary. It helps you get the leverage on yourself to mm-hmm. push through just absolutely ridiculous opposition that charter schools are um, encountering in many different parts of the country right now. One thing I wanted to zero in on is your focus on strengthening your governance. Um, I have been observing having an entry point of advocacy at this point, though I was a teacher for all those years and worked at high tech high and all that stuff. Um, I over time became primarily focused on advocacy. Um, I think it's just been interesting to watch our world that is so obsessed on building the advocacy, the governance excellence at the school level or at the CMO level, not paying the same attention to the governance of our advocacy organizations. I think that um, our advocacy organization's weakness to an important degree is a reflection of their board weakness, right? Mm-hmm. Now let's look at New Jersey. I think that what's happening in New Jersey um, at, from an advocacy perspective is one of the most important stories happening in the United States today. Uh, we've had a, um, an association where the members of New Jersey have been very loyal and very supportive but the organization was not able to put itself together to like really build the kind of influence and strength that it needed to. And now under the leadership of Harry Lee and a new board coming together with a new mission, with you becoming the board chair um, in 2022, it just seems like the organization is not only set to have even greater impact in the future, but is going to serve as a model, I think, for other states that haven't been able to get together a strong advocacy organization to uh, pattern their efforts after what you've done. 
what comments or what thoughts do you have on on just this this emerging success story in New Jersey and what your personal role has been in all of it? Well, you know, I've been a member of the charter school community here in New Jersey now for um, going on 12 years. Um, And you are absolutely correct. Our state association has really done such a turnaround um, and has begun to, not really begun to, has really entered the space of having a voice around policy much more than we ever have in the past. And that policy and having a real vested um, interest and having a voice and being able to make calls and make to help shift a policy um, in the right direction to support charters has been um, such a welcome um, for our state charter schools. And sometimes I don't even think our, our membership base understands how much has really happened and continues to happen on the ground with our leadership. Uh, Harry has definitely taken the organization and just completely flipped right side. He, he right sided the organization without a doubt um, because we were struggling. Um, we were struggling to find our footing, I believe, in that policy arena. And now under Harry's direction, we have our footing and then some. Um, we've definitely started to sprint towards making um, the changes and the investments that needed to be made to ensure that the sustainability of the charter movement um, here in New Jersey is one that's able to be successful. There were several pieces of legislation that had have come out that could have had really damaging impacts on charter schools. But because of our state level associations, forethought and vision and strategy, um, that was not the case. And so that is really all my hat. The hat goes off to the leadership at the association and the team that Harry has built. He's been very strategic. If you look who we've brought on as um, personnel at the association, mm-hmm. you see their strategy. Terrific there talent, that, amazing you know, leaders. Yes. And, and that, and those relationships that those individuals have in their own capacity, um, it just strengthens the organization because when you bring on someone, you don't just bring, they're not a Jane Doe or a John Doe. They yeah. are a person in their own right. And they bring with them networks and relationships and I've watched Harry methodically determine who needs to sit where to bring those relationships to ultimately strengthen our association. There are two specific things where I think your personal contribution and the contribution of charter school leaders in New Jersey has made such a huge difference. It's number one, we only have, we only, we only have around 60,000 students in New Jersey charter schools. And I think for a long time, people thought, that um, an enrollment base of that size could never support a very strong advocacy organization. There's just simply not enough resources. But the schools in New Jersey have been willing to contribute $14 per student in membership dues. We now have several other states that are actually beyond that, right? But what we see is a base of resources that Harry had to work with. Also, we had 99% or something thereabout of all of the charter schools in New Jersey as dues-paying members and very involved. And then lastly, we had this um, willingness of many charter school leaders to step into the political realm. 
a lot of time charter school leaders are like, okay, I'll get involved in the policy stuff, but I find the political stuff distasteful, or there's something that I just don't, off-putting about it, right? But then when people start to look at it and actually get involved in it, they realize, hey, it's a natural thing to do. And they see how much impact it has once they start doing that. And now we see a large number of New Jersey charter school leaders really becoming comfortable with this and actually taking even more action and getting more excited about it. Would you summarize? I mean, what do you see those things as key to the um, to the success of the association in New Jersey of late? It definitely is. You know, when people say that education is not political, I tend to disagree wholeheartedly. Um, education is political just by the sheer uh, nature of of how our systems in the United States here are. Um, you know, for me, it was a natural intersection of just who I am. I have been a closet, I call myself political for many years. <laughs> um, you know, I think uh, in my early 20s, I ran for a district leader, early to mid 20s. Um, in Newark, which is my hometown. So if you know Newark politics, you know Newark is a very old city, um, mm. you know, and you have several old cities like that across the country, whether it's your Atlantas, your Memphises, your um, Detroits, um, where politics, people play hardball, right? But at the end of the day, in order to see change, you have to be involved and engaged. Um, and whether that is you decide that you just want to be more on the grassroots and just organize other people, or you want to be more embedded in the policy arena, you got to pick one of the ways to be engaged. Because if, if you don't, you'd have no voice. If you mm-hmm. have no voice, then when thing when attacks come, you have nothing to stand on. You don't have a voice. You don't have a presence. And then you are really left alone um, out there on an island trying to figure it out. And unfortunately, that's when I often have watched some schools experience their demise because they hadn't built the appropriate relationships. They don't then have that voice that can carry them through when, when trouble become when trouble arises. You know, I've watched some schools here in New Jersey, some of our schools that have closed, they've closed because of fiscal issues, right? Imagine if instead of remaining silent and just trying to work with your BA and figure out what numbers were happening, people had relationships that they could go and they could approach, um, you know, their legislator or talk to um, even someone at um, the on the policy in our lobbyists and talk about ways that things maybe could have been righted. I think maybe some schools may not have even may not have closed if they had the appropriate relationships and had voice. Um, so I I don't see how charter schools in this day and age with so many different things hitting, you have organizations that are calling for moratoriums to stop your growth. Well, if you stop your growth and you stop your expansion, ultimately you are stopping um, your ability to be able to provide more for your scholars, to provide more for your staffing levels. You can't do any of that if you don't have growth in some one capacity or another. And so growth doesn't even always necessarily, it's, it's one side of growth is the sheer number of seats. The other side of growth is your development, right? How are you growing your development arm as an organization? And so 
when I hear people say that, well, I just don't know how to get out there. I don't have the time to get out there and talk to anyone, you know, my legislator or rally my parents around. Okay, well, you may not have the time, but there's anyone on your team. Maybe it's not you directly. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is having a staff member um, designated to organize that aspect. Um, Every time that we've taken our families to Trenton, I think we've done it about three times now, I didn't organize the event. I reached out to our key staff member who um, has those relationships individually. And I said, hey, can you reach out to certain parents? Can you make sure that you send out a blast and invite all parents to this event? But you have to have someone that can carry that charge forward for you. um, And you have to be strategic about how do you divide their time because we are really lean organizations, right? So Mm -hmm. we all wear many hats. One day you may see me with a broom in my hand, right? And I may be the custodian (laughs) or I'm wiping down a table. But you, you have to be very cognizant that when you bring people on your team, you explain that to them and you explain that to them over and over. This is not um, your average place to work, right? You're going to have your hands in multiple pots and you may wear multiple hats. Um, but at the end of the day, you're going to be supported and you're going to be invested in. And so I think th- those are really key pieces. Um, I think the, the downside of not being involved and not being political. And I wish I would have learned it a bit earlier. Um, This is where I was naive, is not sharing with our staff members Uh, the importance of the engagement, the Mm. importance of this movement, and what this movement really means. Um, and while I said we, and we've always showed Waiting for Superman, we show the movie, but we didn't really get into the heart of all the underlying mm-hmm. messages that are there and really expose for our staff members what it means to work here. And, and that yeah, is yeah. the part that really as, an, as a leader now, I'm taking a step back and I'm really assessing over and over again, how do we make sure that our staff members understand that when they come to work for us, they work for the community and the scholars that we serve without a doubt, but they are also part of this great um, social justice movement that has really Mm -hmm. changed the landscape for black and brown kids. And there's no denying the the numbers don't lie as to what charter schools have been able to do. You know, I was fortunate and blessed enough that I grew up in Newark um, in the 80s. I'm a 70s baby, but grew up primarily in the 80s. At the time, we didn't have charter schools when I was growing up. We Mm -hmm. had what they call parochial schools. You had Mm -hmm. several different Catholic schools um, in Newark, and I happened to go to one of them. From that school, I got such a sense of community. But when I look back at that today, I say to myself that that opportunity and that vehicle that advanced me to send me to then a high school outside of my city that cultivated me and prepared me for college, um, that same vehicle is what charter schools are today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see, you know, if you know anything about the history of parochial schools and how um, 
the the nuns and and the priests and the the brothers how they would come into a community to support and uplift you know and and did it as missionary work right mm-hmm. then you know that a charter school being akin to that there is a i think for people who are really vested in this movement and understand this movement there's more of a calling Mm-hmm. Than it is just a profession, and I I would say that for also for any traditional public school teacher, if you are really um, vested in your work and what you do, it's not really just a profession. This has to be a calling, and that's what I really want to begin to get our teachers and our staff members to understand that being part of this movement is a calling, and you have to own it. You have to own it you have to be invested and you have to it really has to be a, a part of who you are um at at some level of of your your being you have to be fighting for equity um and you know you have to be on that right side of history because Absolutely. you understand what education does and or did for you Um, I am a first generation college student. Neither one of my parents went to college. They're both super hard work, working, um, beautiful people. um, And they 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 taught me so much, but they didn't go to college. Mm -hmm. And I understand, though, how their um, their hard work and their fight every day um, for me to go to college was because they understood while they did not go what doors and access that opened um, for me. Um, and so that is what I I know that this charter school movement and what our movement is doing for students every day. I have many students at our school today that, and we're in the 21st century, we're in 2021 yep, now, yep. and I yep, have yep. many kids and our families that will still be first-generation college students, and this is that door, and this is that, it's the gateway um, to really changing generational success and generational wealth, and being a part of that move, uh, being a part of the charter school movement, you have to understand that. Being a, an educator, you should understand that. Then you move another step forward, right? And you talk about um, from a perspective uh, in terms of systems, how our traditional public schools in many urban environments for years have been able to operate and produce failure after failure after failure. You can't do that in this sector. You, your doors will be shut. You, there's no way that you can keep churning out and become a place of failure that doesn't, um, doesn't provide for kids and, or becomes the pipeline to prison. That doesn't happen. You don't get that opportunity when you're a charter school because your doors close. And so I think that people have to begin to understand what this movement has done and what it is doing. And it's not bashing another another school system. I was a traditional public school system for all of my teaching career. Um, worked in, in a rural district as a curriculum specialist um, for some time in North Carolina. So it's nothing against another system, um, but it is that this movement, you cannot deny what the results have been and what the results have been for students that look like myself. Absolutely. Well, I think, well, I think that, that 
Um, um, post CCSA, one of the things that motivated me most to make something like Charter Folk was having the opportunity to travel the country. I had a chance to visit 25 states. And my observations were that we had lost this sense of connection to our work not being just a profession, but a calling, right? Just people being more quiet about that or having lost a sense of confidence in that. Uh, and so my thought was that maybe in some way, charter folk might help remind all of us that A, we're already doing this, and B, we have nothing to be um, quiet about as it relates to this. And uh, since that time, I would say that um, I see a lot of people recognizing that we need to get back to um, that way of communicating about ourselves and our own work and building our own cultures along those lines. And then I find people like you, Danielle, who have never lost that sense from one day in your entire uh, work, you know, uh, contribution to charter charter schools. So, um, just thank you for what you're doing, and you know, keep going, and you know, let people like me know what we can do to um, uh, just have let you have even greater impact in the in the future. Uh, we only have a couple minutes left here. I just thought I'd um, uh, return to this uh, question of of charter folk and and what. Um, what are the values that you think that uh, charter folk can offer uh, to, to folks like yourself and to our movement more broadly? Are there any things that we're doing that are particularly helpful? Uh, are there any things that we're, do- that we're not doing yet that you really think we should start doing or double down on or stop doing? Or what, what, this is just, I'd love to have whatever input you have about what would be a next chapter for charter folk that would be even more supportive of remarkable people like yourself. Uh- you know, I think you, Charter Folk definitely is doing extraordinary work already. You're highlighting the movement and that in and of itself is a huge um, feather in the cap um, because it is making sure that the myths that many people hear or they believe that they know about charter schools, um, that those myths are busted. I think moving forward, char- we're Charter Folk could really lean in is built continuing to build the readership um, among the actual schools, school staff members, parental community, um, so that they also understand the lay of the land. Um, I think too often, um, as we were speaking of previously, the staff and the the teachers, they don't understand the calling. They don't understand what the movement is. And for various reasons, um, you know, I, we are a unionized charter now. Um, there are things that cannot be said, even though they're the truth. Um, I, you know, would face the potential that um, I, it would be something, something I said that may appear to be anti-labor. And it may not be. But I think that that voice can definitely be said through the charter folk. Um, You know, there are various topics um, and associations out there that don't want to see charter schools grow. They Mm -hmm. don't want to see us expand. They outright called for moratoriums on charters. Um, All of that's fact. It's public record. People could go to Google, do a Google search and see it. But school leaders are sometimes not in position to share that information because it will be twisted. But I think charter folk could share that information um, and continue to highlight also 
the great work that is happening. Because all too often, I think be- traditional districts um, and just because it is what is known, uh, people gravitate towards that district or, you know, you see that district in the local press. Charter schools and charter folk could really lean in and highlighting and spotlighting our schools so that the broader community really understands and gets to see all the great things happening because everybody wants to be a part of something good, right? Who doesn't? Absolutely. Um, You know, everyone wants to feel like, you know, there's someone cheering. You have that cheerleader out there. So I think charter folk just continuing to advocate by raising uh, the visibility and presence of the charter school sector would do tons of work for um, each of the charter schools and the leaders and help leaders to even begin to think about where do they need to lean in at as a leader? Um, Because sometimes charter folk, I know I've read, read several columns and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, let me think about leaning in. How do I need to approach this piece of the work now? Uh, Just the other day, you did a story on um, Patricia Brantley. Uh, And so I got a chance to read it and I'm looking through their story. And then I, I I look at, you know, I, I never heard of friendship prior to our conversation. Really. I think maybe like I might've heard like the name, but didn't really know the organization. So as I go and I look and I, I look at what they have done, this massive success story in DC, multiple campuses, think about all of the lives that they are impacting. Think about the ecosystem that they're able to build, um, right? in their own community in DC. It really had, it had me emailing her now. Like I'm waiting for (laughs) the response back, but I'm like, I love to get on your calendar (laughs) and just talk. So I think, you know, Mm. leaders, sometimes you don't know other leaders who are maybe doing the same work that you do or the work that you aspire to do as a leader. So even it becomes a network um, charter folk. And if you are um, not scared to jump out there like I am. I, you know, I, I'll cold call anyone and just talk to them if if it's going to be something that's going to benefit our organization. Um, you know, I just reached out, but I reached out because I heard of her um, through the story that I read on Charter Folk. So really leaning in that's to awesome. do more pieces like that because I really do think you know that information sharing is also important because we know not uh, we have not because we know not right. If we don't know, we don't have. Um, so just keep spreading the word. Well, Danielle, I profess uh, or confess to have not having it, having it all figured out when I started it, right? Um, let's start writing a few columns. Um, wait a second. Let's really start celebrating some people. Oh, wait a second. We have enough of these things. Hey, maybe we could put this together and have a prize of some kind, right? Oh, um, okay, we do that. Who ends up being chosen? You know, Danielle West Augustine, right? Um, you know, didn't have it all figured out in the beginning, but couldn't be happier about the way it's played out. And all I'll say is that um, it's true. I'll do whatever I can for any charter folk that turn uh, to me, right? But Danielle, anything that uh, you ask for, you're going to get, right? Uh, would love to have your voice remain a part of Charter Folk. Would love for you to be re- recommending other leaders from your network who should be recognized. Um, we will keep doing everything we can to celebrate people like yourself. Let me just give a last you know, minute here. Any last thoughts you'd like to share with you know, our viewers today before we uh, wrap up this discussion? 
Uh, well, first of all, I'd just like to thank you again uh, for having me. Uh, thank the Charter Folk um, of the Year individuals who were my colleagues that stood beside me in um, being nominated toward the final four um, because all of us in our own right are really doing the work. And that's the hard part. The work is the hard part. And we're all rolling up our sleeves, continuing to do that. So I'd just like to congratulate each one of them um, and just thank you all for having me today. But the one last thought that I, I'd like to leave um, everyone with is if you are a closet politico like I am and or if you have any sense of wanting to be engaged um, in this movement, reach out and don't don't remain in the closet. Figure out a way that you begin to reach out. And it might just be something as simple as following your state level association on Twitter and identifying when's an opportunity that you could push forward policy or help move an agenda forward that supports the charter school movement and the work that we do. We have several calls of action that happen throughout the year where we need voices to reach out to our legislators and let someone know that, hey, this is a bad bill. We need to kill it. Um, like even right now, as we are in the era of, you know, the, the, the federal piece around CSP, making sure that our legislators understand just how important those dollars are to charter schools and if you want to be engaged, it's so simple as sometimes just following a tweet, sharing a tweet, and then writing to your legislator. And the writing to your legislator is not like you sitting down writing a letter anymore. No, literally all it is is filling out a form, signing your name um, online to be a part of a, of a petition um, or letting your legislator know that you are endorsing um, this bill being, you know, being pro-charter. Uh, so, you know, if you can become engaged, get involved. Um, if you're a leader, get involved. If you're not already involved, if you already are involved, stay involved. You know, really, this is the time that we can't let our foot up off the gas. We are coming off of the hills of October 6th of twenty. 20. And we know that that was an ugly time in our country. We never want to go back there. Um, keep your foot on the gas to make sure that um, as a movement and as an organization, we are doing the things that we need to do to uplift uh, communities and communities that serve black and brown students. Keep your foot on the gas. That would be what I would say to, to other charter school leaders as well. Keep your foot on the gas. I absolutely love it. Danielle, thank you so much for all Thanks, that you're doing. Man. Thanks for taking time with us this, today as well. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.